so. Okay, now we're recording. Okay. All right, so just just for any video viewers, um, I mentioned earlier that you are way overdressed for our podcast, but not for a funeral. And with the suit and tie, um, you're looking pretty sharp today, but is this, this is someone that's been a part of your church? Yes, yes, uh, a gentleman that has um, had significant health challenges for a while, um, uh, originally from um, uh, Botswana. Oh, for reals? Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I speak a little Sitswana. You do? Oh, because I live in Cabrone. Yeah, school there two years. Well, he, um, yeah, he was a, was a structural engineer. He got his education uh, in Edinburgh, in Scotland. Um, mm. Wife and kids, um, the kids are, are, are all adults. Um, but he had, a, he had such a difficult season of health challenges and um, passed away last week. Uh, after being in the hospital for a very, very long time. But the last several years of his life, he's been in hospital. Uh, for, I think, the last three years, he's been in hospital probably, I would say, for 10 months out of the year type of thing. And um, it's it's been a tough journey for him and his family. And Yeah, and uh, so get to be a part of celebrating his life and and his faith today, yeah. and uh, yeah, yeah. Sac- sacred responsibilities sometimes, mm. uh, but, but yeah. Anyway, so I, I figure my my uh, sweatshirt, and golf shirt won't won't do for today. So. Right? Yeah, yeah. Good enough for Kenny and Stretch for sure. I mean, slightly overdressed even with the sweatshirt, um, but you're right on point. Do you know, as, as a pastor, Stu, I've, I have never conducted a funeral. Is that right? And I don't, I don't regret that. I think there's, there's some people I've talked to and points in my journey where I've wondered, like, am I even a real pastor? Because I haven't even like buried anybody, but I, I got to a place somewhere through the years where I was just like, I kind of hope I never have to do that. If somebody calls on me to do that, I will take up the mantle of that honor um i've man i've i've been to funerals i've i've you know but it's not something that i'm like oh i need to check that off my list to get my pastor card you know no uh, yeah when i was a youth pastor i was at a church where um the pastor had kind of the philosophy and this is more common i think in in at least the circles here of church in, in canada than it perhaps is in the u.s uh you know when you're in a youth ministry position you know you don't necessarily do these kinds of you know what we would consider to be kind of lead pastor responsibilities but mm-hmm. he had a very uh, he had a very intentional way of thinking about um developing me as a pastor and so from from when i was hired where it was possible i got opportunities to uh you know everything from hospital visitation crisis kind of you know uh, you know intervention type of thing as a pastor to uh funerals and weddings yeah and 
and uh, it gave me, I guess, a perspective of the church that I wouldn't have had. And I think, I think that was, I, I look back on that and I'm very appreciative uh, sure. because what people don't often realize is that, is that some of the most meaningful interactions we have in terms of um, pastoral work are with people in, in times of significant seasons of, of losses or change. And um, there's a different receptivity, a different way in which people talk. Um, uh, they're open to conversations that, not that you go into a funeral going, oh, I'm going to have some, you know, evangelistic conversations, but people's yeah. hearts. Uh, a lot of times people are, are asking questions in, the, in these seasons that they don't necessarily ask at another time in life. Right. Um, and so uh, it's, it's obviously always hard because there's loss involved and someone that has been loved as, as is no longer here. But there's also incredible grace in those moments. So there, you know, how you walk as a pastor in seasons of loss alongside people um, is very important. Mm -hmm. I think uh, uh, mm -hmm. it also it also um, it also reminds you of your own limitations. You know, in the in the face of loss, there's very few things you can do that is going to really change things for people, other than to be present. Um, and to love and, and to be gracious and to kind of incarnate the presence of God with them as well. So anyway, yeah. Well, so, let me, let me, since someone's invested in you, maybe you can invest in me a little bit and I can just glean some from you here of, you know, when, when you're entering into a situation where there's a, a parishioner or someone's asked you to, um, you know, officiate a funeral. What's the what's the process that you go through, as far as just like the logistics of the things that you know that you need to collect this information, but it's going to happen in a very relational, kind of sensitive way to people. Like I've for, for let me give you an example, just leading in. Um, one of my mentors, Daryl Wiseman, that was my pastor when I was on staff at Boise First. I, I know that he would always ask if the person he knew the person was a Christian. He would ask if they had a Bible. And if it'd be okay for him to look through it and he would look through it and see if they wrote anything or if they, they had anything that they'd inserted in there, whether they were cards or bookmarkers or scriptures or highlights or, or whatever. But what's, what's kind of your, what's kind of your ritual of, of preparing to celebrate someone's life and journey with the family? Yeah, I, I, I don't quite do that. That's a good idea, though. I, I may do that. You're welcome. Um, You're welcome. Yeah, I, do I, can. <laughs> I do what I can that I haven't done yet. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, that's a great idea. Um, I, I think that's really important. To, it, it obviously depends on whether you know the person well, if they are a parishioner. There's oftentimes that I've done funerals in my previous context where I didn't really have. I wasn't the pastor to this folks, but, you know, I ended up doing the funeral. Uh, but where you do know people or they are parishioners, people of faith in particular, um, I think just knowing their life story, right? So when I was visiting with him over the last two years in hospital, uh, we talked about many things. Uh, and I listen very carefully to, uh, to what people say in seasons where they're kind of very retrospective about their life and very, very intentional about their faith. And, um, and I think that's an important part of pastoral work in seasons like this, where the temptation for people like me is to perhaps feel like we come to bring something to the situation, right. uh, you know, by means of encouragement. So, but listening is really important. And with this gentleman in particular, uh, had a love for the Old Testament, in particular, the story of David. 
and, um, and uh, you know, would be able to quote long portions of the Old Testament that he's just memorized over the years and found great um, encouragement in. Uh, he's also, just as an example, he, he's also a structural engineer and a very highly skilled mathematician. And, um, and so there are things about his personality that just shone through, you know, his proclivity towards, uh, you know, complex ideas and thoughts and, and thinking through that and working things out. Um, and yet there was just this incredible, unwavering, deep confidence and faith and trust in God. <laughs> mm. So, you know, uh, so, so when I speak about him, um, uh, you know, uh, tomorrow, um, because today is, is, is kind of a, a viewing time and then tomorrow is the actual funeral service. Okay. But when I speak about him, I, I, I will in all, in all likelihood reference the Old Testament and, and text that he appreciated and loved. And, um, but I would also speak about this, this incredible uh, mind and this incredible faith that kind of was held in tension in his life in a, in a beautiful way. Um, as as a brilliant a man as he's been in, in terms of his work and his uh, ability in, in, in different areas, he was equally, if not more, deeply a man of faith. And those things are not contrary to each other in a culture that often seems to question sure. <laughs> whether whether those who are of faith are thinking people, right? And so, uh, so, so celebrating him in that way is to kind of speak truth about who he was as a man and how significant his faith mm. was to who he was as a person. I think that's meaningful to people. The other thing that's important, I think, when you, when you walk through uh, times like this with folks is um, to pay attention to those who, uh, those who are mourning. Um, sometimes uh, the best thing we can do is cre create the space. Sometimes that's harder for us to discern. Uh, people don't often want a lot of people around. But what I tend to do because of my own experience of loss and, and having walked through that, you know, as, 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 uh, as a son and, and as a sibling, um, I, um, I know that when the initial kind of flurry and activities around the death, the funeral subsides, there's an incredibly hard adjustment that comes. And so I always posture myself, always think about the week after oh, um, yeah. the, the week after is when the phone stops ringing a little bit um, where there's more space and time uh, for thought um, right now the family's in high planning getting figuring things out and getting all the details and it's when this week is over and there's more space and time that oftentimes the reality sinks in in a way that that can be very very discouraging and so I, I try to, to, to target the week after. So I don't do a lot in the immediate. I respond right away. When he passed away, I went right away to the family, you know, stopped by, dropped off some meals, that type of thing on behalf of the church in midweek. But I won't go and actually spend time with them as a family until things kind of calm down a little bit. And Unless they ask. Like if they'd ask, you'd be there. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah. as far as you're not like trying to press in and be around and like, yeah, yeah. I hear you. Yeah. Yeah, but it's important for them to know you're there as well, you know, and um, yeah, yeah. Well, you, you, anyway. you, you mentioned David, and you probably can't use this in, in anything that you would share in the context of the next couple of days, but I, I, have a, I have a Facebook reflection 
from another mentoring voice mm-hmm. in my life, um, Gene Shandorf, that was my college chaplain, now retired, and he's on a road trip. Okay. He's on a road trip through the South with with his wife right now, and he posted this 13 hours ago, and it's it's a it's he says irreverent thought from this morning's Old Testament reading. I just can't stop thinking that Second Samuel ten four sounds like a scene from Monty Python's movie. So uh, Hanun sees David's ambassadors and shaved off half of each man's beard and cut off their robes at the buttocks and sent them back to David. Of course, I'm hearing this in the voice of the guard shouting down at the knights in the Holy Grail. <laughs> one of the, the mentoring voices that I rather enjoy. <laughs> Me and Gene will, it's been a while, it's been too long, but when he gets back in town, I gotta, I gotta take him to the taco bus that he introduced me to, and we go and we, we actually, it gets up, it's up inside like an old passenger bus, it's not just like a van, like you go inside of it, and you sit down, and you just chat, and people come and go, and, and, um, yeah, um, (laughs) Stu, I really, I appreciate your, your, your thoughts and your reflections on that, because that, it, it, it helps me, but I'll be praying with you and, and with the, the family um, over the yeah. next days. And then, and then this week, I think the week after is such a, in, such an insight and um, thoughtfulness from your own journey. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I talked with a mutual friend of ours yesterday in the, oh, uh, yeah. in, in, the in the Toronto area. Um, Mark, Mark. <laughs> well, now you've got intrigued. Yeah, well, it was it was Mark. Mark Stallbaum. Yeah. Now, if I'm yeah, remembering yeah, right, yeah. don't you yeah, don't you often yeah. refer to her as like as your Canadian mom? <laughs> I have many Canadian moms, but uh, yes. <laughs> okay, I don't want to stir up any controversies or jealousies. I'm just I'm just saying. I've I've heard you say that before. <laughs> um she she asked me very very good friend yeah yeah Mm -hmm. she um she messaged me a couple days ago and asked if i'd consider doing an online young adult workshop as a part of their um district assembly for some of the workshops that nyi is going to do so we we had a facetime chat yesterday and caught up and just talked shop for a little bit and it was just, it was good to connect and hear what's going nice. on. And so I think I'm going to be doing that on Saturday, June 5th, a week from this weekend. Nice. With them. But I know that's, nice. that's, that's your old stomping ground, well, it, man. It, it, yeah. I mean, I got so many stories about Mark. Mark is one of the funniest people, you know, her life, her life could turn into like a story she could tell you so many things that you just go that should be a movie <laughs> but um one of the things that whenever i hear mark's name I, I think of the time that i was putting together i was the, the district youth coordinator for canada central district and and part of our job part of my my job was to resource uh, volunteer youth workers which comprises 99 percent of the 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 the, the ministry to, to youth and young adults are done by volunteers in our context there in Central District. Yeah. 
And so I was resourcing and okay. So one of the things that we were talking a lot about is a lot, we were talking a lot about discipleship. We've got to disciple the young people and so on. And, and one of the things that came out in one of our discerning group sessions was, you know, discipleship needs context, right? Like, you know, you need some, you need something to actually connect it to. Otherwise, discipleship becomes this nebulous idea of mm. you've got to teach people about Jesus, but we never really kind of understand what that looks like and where that goes. So we decided we're going to, we're going to, do a, a mission trip, but it's not going to be like a once-off. It's going to be something that we want to continue to support and engage with, and to take kids out of their out of their cultural familiarity, expose them to the broader world, perhaps an area that they haven't seen, but then be very intentional with pairing them with mentors through the process, beyond the process, and then connect with that ministry location on an ongoing basis. Sweet. So we decided, we became very audacious. We, 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 we became very audacious and we thought Swaziland. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we decided we're going to take a group to Swaziland. So it was 40 of us, young adults and teens, and everyone had a partner that they were connected with that was going to kind of be their mentor anything practically for making sure they had their shots before they went to their passport on them to the other questions of how are you doing in your relationship with christ and so on and so you know we, we, we we're starting to plan all of this and and mark was never going to go you know and uh, i was at her home one day and she tells the story better than i and i sat in the kitchen and her son was going to go campbell by the way there's a phenomenal story there you know that after this Swaziland mission trip, Marg, through her son's vision for this, has built over 30 libraries in schools throughout Swaziland. Wow. Okay. And, and, and resourced 30 libraries <laughs> for, you know, I mean, I could tell you many stories, but anyway, so, so, so I'm sitting in the kitchen and, um, and uh, I just kind of, I just look at it and I say, Marg, I wonder if you should go. And she's got her back to me. And I just see a, a shoulder shrug. She turns around and the tears are just running down her face, just running down her face. <laughs> she says to me, and I had no sense of this. She says to me, I know. <laughs> God had been talking to me about this. I know. <laughs> she says, I don't want to go. <laughs> oh, man. And, uh, long story short. Uh, we, we we talked back about that experience. She she did go on the trip and uh, and, and and she she became mom friend sister uh, to many in Swazi. To this day, uh, she is like one of the family uh, to many many people now called Iswatini. Uh, but many many of the people in Swaziland that she met, she still has a very deep friendship. She's been back there multiple times since then um, to help train. Uh, you know, those who are going to run the libraries because she's a librarian uh, in, a, in the public school system. Right. Uh, her son, as I remember the moment the vision, the seed was planted in her son, Campbell. We were talking to the principal of the school after we were doing like um, a day camps where 800 kids showed up <laughs> each day for a day camp. And um, he asked the principal, he said, what is the biggest need you have here at the school? And the principal said two things. He says, we don't have fresh water, so we have to have water brought in in a tanker. It's poured into this well. And if it runs out, there's no fresh water for anybody that attends at school uh, until we can get another tanker. And, and uh, Campbell said, well, you know, 
can't, isn't the government going to do anything? He says, no, the problem is, is that the other freshwater supply is like two kilometers down the road. They don't want to do that. And then he said, and the second thing is, he says, not our teachers don't even sometimes have books to use for reading or teaching or instruction. And that clicked with him. And he came home and he said, I think I want to do something to get the school books. And of course, when he talked to his mom, his mom's a librarian. So they started to get the word out and people started to donate books, you know, individuals, companies, libraries started to get, they filled up a container, sent it over there with a catalog of the books and how to set it up. And then it developed and they developed a plan as to how they're going to do it. it became, I think, books in Africa uh, is, I think, what they call it now. And uh, they still do that work. They still build libraries uh, in, in, in Swaziland and, and have actually built their first library in, uh, in South Africa a couple of years ago. So, Really? Which part of South Africa? So anyway, don't bring up Mark Stolberg if you... I think it was in the Gauteng area, so the former kind of Transvaal, you would remember that language. Yeah, uh, um, uh, yeah, yeah, so now, uh, you know, yeah. Gauteng, um, it's called now. Okay. I'm I'm just looking forward to hanging out with some Canadians, even even online. And, and um, you know, Mark, Mark listens to us, you know that, right? On, on the podcast. Well, shout out, Mark. Thanks for listening. Yeah, but I, I just felt so. I, I mean, I told her this, and at some degree, but I just feel so honored, personally myself, as as um, as an individual, but then as an American, that she was thinking about, you know, who who should I have talk with us about young adult stuff, mm-hmm. and and I came to mind, and she wanted to see if I I was available. I was so honored by that. And, and I learned so much from anybody that I get to engage with, but anytime Canadians are invited an American to come hang out and that's okay. <laughs> I'm like, I, the, 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 um, the um, significance is probably too strong of a word, but the trust, the, yeah. the, the trust and, yeah. and the, you know, this is, this is a friend is not, the friendship is not lost on me. Um, but I'm hoping just to kind of dream a dream together and hear what they've already got going on with young adult stuff. But the mentioning of having a common mission, you know, where mm-hmm. the Swaziland, Swatini, the, the books, and that's an ongoing continuing thing. And mm-hmm. then the mentoring and, and having that context where discipleship is, is so important. And so that's kind of my, my angle at this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with with young adult ministry as well who mm-hmm. who are the young adults that are around and and how are you inviting them to lead and mm-hmm. and in are you trying to do it for or are you trying to do it with young adults because there's a difference mm-hmm. one's going to be more effective than the other the with mm-hmm. um and allowing to lead is a lot more effective than the four and trying to get people involved yeah no i agree sure i i, I think I think to the term forensic, what I mean by that is, you know, we, we two things. One, we think that uh, discipleship is a neatly packaged kind of process where we start with perhaps in, in the lab, yeah, <laughs> examining, studying culture, you know, engagement, blah, 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 blah. And then once we've done our lab work, now we get out into the field. You know, that, that's, that's one aspect of how I use the word forensic. You know, it's kind of an, an analysis. We, we're studying something, but we're not really engaged in it. 
I just think discipleship is something that happens. The dynamic of learning and doing goes hand in hand. I just yeah, you got to do both. You got to do, do both. And yeah, and, and that's not that's not new to anybody. The other part of when I say forensic is is we think that it looks um, it looks successful in the sense that you know when you study something and you kind of go this is how it works and so therefore when you do this in 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 the world that's how it works i have seldom heard any missionary of any um uh, discernment you know with any discernment uh, speak of going to a mission field and having things work exactly the way that they had planned or laid out right in fact in fact the best missionaries are the ones who who learn as much as they do, if yeah. not more. And so I think I think when we when we when we think in Western ways, and by the way, I, I'm very careful because every time people hear me say this, they think I'm I'm knocking on the very culture I'm a part of. I'm I'm just being critical of the culture like we should be in any culture. Right. But I think in Western culture, we have made it forensic and clinical in the sense that we believe there's a particular path and process towards this. And second, we, we enter the process not as learners and discipleship disciples are always learners always yeah. Yeah. it's not like it's not like we get you know on the front end we get all the information we need now we can disseminate that information in our work we are learning as we're doing we're learning as we're growing we're learning as we're following Jesus into different places and so that's kind of what I mean by kind of this forensic or clinical way of thinking about discipleship gotcha yeah, you've probably heard me share my my four tenets of of mission work, but I, I think it's missioner work. Therefore, for anybody that would seek to be a disciple and a part of the 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 coming and bringing about the kingdom of God, it's presence, teachable, communitas, and flexibility, and and that communitas. Ooh, let's talk about communitas. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Hear. Well, I mean, that's I I learned that phrase because of you. <laughs> Once again, back to the book, the shaping of the things to come, and 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 you know Frost and Hirsch, yeah. um, but that idea of 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 um, the church being shaped in in mission, and I, I had a bit I had a bit of a a, a tussle with one of my profs, um, in in uh, Australia in in my theology my master's theology degree talking about and writing talking about it in class and then writing a paper on um you know does church shape mission does mission shape church and i i think it i think it's it's two cups pouring back and forth uh within each other um but from my experience if the church is the one that's shaping the mission um it that seems to be less dynamic to me it seems to be it seems to be more forensic, more clinical. But if, like you were saying, but if if the church is being shaped by the mission that they're engaged in and they're intentionally seeking to be the learners, to have that teachable spirit, to be present in their context, to be flexible, then they're going to be shaped, you know, by, by the mission. Mm -hmm. um, that has always been more beneficial and rewarding um, from my perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, but you have, you have to choose to be present. There are times we just find ourselves being present. Yeah. But most of the time, I have to choose to be present. I think there's a distinction between being a learner and being teachable. I think you can be both. 
but a learner can choose who they learn from. Right. They're, they're selective on, on the knowledge that they consume. Hmm. Someone that seeks to have a teachable spirit chooses that posture no matter the situation or the season that they're in or the person from which they're learning from. Right. Everyone becomes a teacher. Every moment, every bad sermon, every bad situation, um, every instance of life, I choose to have a, a teachable spirit. And, and some people get that and some, and some people don't. And the people that I, I see struggle within the church with, with their identity being within the politics of the culture or the politics of the kingdom are the ones that don't get the distinction um, between being a learner, being teachable, mm -hmm. being, being present, being shaped in mission, being flexible. You know, um, if you're going to be a learner, if you're going to be teachable, and you have you you have the default position of everything I need to know is in the Bible and comes from Jesus. I think you're halfway there. <laughs> but if you're if I'm not choosing to learn from my neighbor that may be a part of a completely different belief system than I am, or or proclaim to have no faith at all or care. Mm -hmm. um, if I'm not choosing to learn from the community and the culture and the context that I'm in to apply what I'm learning from Jesus and in his spirit and scripture, mm -hmm. then, then I'm, I'm not really being teachable. Mm -hmm. I'm not really being present. I'm not really being shaped by mission. I just have my ideas and principles and perspective that I'm projecting onto everyone around me. I don't think it compromises the message, but we get back to uh, you know reflection on methodology now of what what is the posture with which we express the gospel and the medium that seems to be the most effective is relationship. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, what you're talking about, I think, is very relevant and very important today um, because I think that the church is going to be pushed back. And, we, you know, you and I read The Shaping of Things to Come many, many years ago. And uh, for us, it was so eye-opening um, that it was both a critique of Western culture in the sense that the church has been very comfortable with a come-to-us mentality um, and in a in a in an ever-growing secularized culture, uh, the church seems to become less and less relevant, especially if it has the posture of privilege and power, especially mm -hmm. if it's a church that says, you know, because we are the church, you know, you come to us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but but the, 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 the gift of this season for the church is certainly that it can perhaps reinvigorate our missiological desires. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it can stir within us that which actually makes us the church. And so, you know, to speak about the church doing mission is actually, I, I think it's, it's, it's an inadequate understanding of the church. The church is mission. The church was conceived as those who waited on the gift of the spirit and were empowered um, to proclaim the hope of Jesus Christ in cultures beyond themselves. And the birth of that movement was in the power of a missional God sending spirit, 
you know? <laughs> and so when, when churches become institutionalized, when churches become structures as any denomination does, and when a church goes through periods of time or seasons of, of life in which there's not immediate threat or threat to it or the prevailing culture, it, it, it fosters a, a, a incongruent way of thinking about who it's supposed to be. So for us, mission becomes something here in the West that is only done by some people. You know, we can be Christian, but we're not missionary. Right. Uh, and, and, and I that, mean, wrong. And, and, and that's absolutely wrong. I think that's absolutely non-biblical. And we, we also then consider kind of missionaries as a select few. And they are, I mean, there's vocational missionary work. Let's not, let's not confuse that legitimate vocational missionary work. But in terms of a missional identity, that's who we are, each one of us. Yeah. We, we exist to be engaged in the world, uh, not of the world, but in the world, loving the world with the hope of Jesus Christ as, as he loved us and sharing that hope. Yeah. You know, I, I, so, someone recently said to me, the church is a foretaste of the kingdom of God. You know, and, and when they said that, I was like, yes, because sometimes I look at the church and I go, man, the church sucks. <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, the church is terrible. Yeah. Her day. And, and, and if you if you think of the church as having it all, you miss it. It's a foretaste. We still anticipate the fulfillment of God's promise through Christ's return and the kingdom fully realized. But as a foretaste, we live in a in an engaging way with culture. Yeah. The, the last thing I would say this to this is I would say. And this is just coming to my my own thinking as I'm reading here. Um, um, some people on mission, uh, but. Uh, you know, contextual theology, right? So this is a, a paper I had to re re write recently on what is the relationship between context and theology? And the argument that a couple of the authors make initially that I've read, and I, I'm just getting into it, is that is that ultimately all theology is contextual. In other words, theology is the fruit of context. Now, now that mm -hmm. doesn't mean that scriptures don't play a foundational role in determining our theologies, but Scripture is a part of a particular context. It's a part of a particular script of, uh, you know, a part of a particular reading. It's a particular culture. And so when we think mission again, I think context matters. And I think that the presumption that because a theological perspective derived in one context is therefore the theological perspective uh, has hurt us historically. Um, mm -hmm. We, we, we then tend to discount how creative God is in different places, how God makes himself known in different places. But anyway, yeah, I'm mm. getting, getting a little bit off track there. But yeah, yeah. This is why I talk to you, because, because you, start, you start rifting like that theologically, and then I get pumped up. <laughs> well, you're one of the few friends that do. How are you doing on time, Stu? <laughs> I, I probably have to uh, close it out. Here. I've got a meeting and very briefly, uh, very shortly, but glad to okay. make the, the, the time, well, brother. And listen, well, I'm too. super, Let, super excited that this thing has come together, man. I am, you know, I, I want to be on your, uh, on your, um, on your board. You know, if you had a personal board surrounding you for this missionary work, I, I freely give of my time to be, a part of that board so god bless you in this wow, you, well you, so you're 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 wanting to step up your your um 
the commitment you currently have to spend time with me weekly already to to really <laughs> oh, to go to that next level, huh? Okay. Maybe this is enough. <laughs> maybe you don't want more. So this might not be for me. That good. <laughs> well, let me let me just let me just hit a couple updates really quick. I mean, Stretch yeah. isn't with us today because he's on the way to Oklahoma City with with his wife Jill, and he's he's um, speaking at a NYI field event for for SNU uh, with SNU and Southern Nazarene University, and then he said he's he's speaking at Northeast Oklahoma. Um, okay team camp so that's that's awesome i'm glad he's able to travel and he's and he's on the road and he's and he's 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 getting gigs and he's doing what you know god's shaped him to do and 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 practicing his his craft and his calling and i just that pumps me up like i'm I'm, but i you know we can be praying for him this week um as he's doing all that and just as 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 his friends but i hey i appreciate your um your celebration with me so just to like make it official for the four people listening to the podcast um i'm i'm officially hired on as the young adults connection pastor at shepherd community center in indianapolis this is a remote role wow um the the specific job description um i'm i'm helping to connect um both leaders of, of connected to young adults and young adults, particularly college graduates to Shepherd for their paid year long fellowship program. Now there's a lot of different ways to go about doing that. But my job description as young adult connection pastor is connecting young adults to Shepherd um, for their fellowship program. They also have a summer intern program um, that uh, young adults can be a part of. Typically those are like 18 to 22 year olds, kind of that college age range ish. Um, But what, what I see this, I mean, I I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful for a full-time vocational ministry um, gig and it's with people that I know and I love, and I'm excited to partner with and point people to, man, I was listening last night to, to Jay height, the, the director, um, my boss at shepherd Um and he was doing a live Facebook event. He does these on Wednesdays with different leaders in Indianapolis. He was doing it with a deputy mayor of Indianapolis. And they were checking in a year later from their previous conversation about um, how Indianapolis is doing as a city in the COVID response and, and the point that they're at now. And then what Shepherd's role has been in partnership with the city of Indianapolis um, in, in those efforts. And it was just really cool to hear the deputy mayor of Indianapolis brag on Shepard and, and Jay, you know, brag on the city and just this, this cool, they, they seek those partnerships. And so it's an awesome dynamic leadership development place for young adults to be able to be funneled to. So now I'm getting a little, I'm getting a little soapboxy right now. No, that's awesome. The, my that excitement awesome. with all that, but I'm, I'm pumped and, and it, it's going to help me just officially kind of reconnect on my for my with within my own effort but reconnect with youth leaders and young adult leaders across USA Canada um stretch pitched me a couple names with cell phone numbers and I texted them and talked with one of them and I think at least one of them is is applying for the the position so we're already kind of going here and I'm not official till next week yeah yeah well that's awesome man I'm I'm super excited to hear how things develop and shape and uh um 
you get engaged with this work. Are you gonna? Do you foresee a lot of travel upcoming for you when when uh, when this kind of really gets going? Or is yeah, maybe. Be... I mean, there's 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 budget for that, and and um, I get to I get to manage that, and um, so I'm still kind of feeling that out because we're such at a staggered kind of pacing with the pandemic and right. where some states are at and and where other ones aren't and. I don't even know if I'm going to go be able to get to Indianapolis before maybe even September. So right. we'll, right. we'll see, but there's a pastoral element to this too, to the fellows that are already there. So I'm looking forward to meeting them and connecting with them and gathering their stories and gleaning from them, their experience to be able to share that with, with other young adults along the way to see if they want to, to join the journey. So if you know anybody, Stu. That's awesome, man. Yeah, you know, you know, uh, that it, it's not so much whether I know people is that people become disassociated with you when you become a senior pastor. All the cool people leave your life, you know, <laughs> especially when you you leave youth ministry. It's like you're dead to us. You know, I don't get any calls for youth gigs anymore. You know, I'm the old guy now. It's like no, no, no. We're yeah, you're call. you're the person so, calling people for the youth gigs now. <laughs> maybe, maybe. But no, there's some there's some bright spots uh, here in Calgary in, in Canada. I'll I'll give it some thought. So tell me again, what kind of what are you looking for, and for what reason, what purpose? Yeah, so um, college grads that are that are looking to uh, serve in in an urban ministry context, um, they can be all types of different um, uh, disciplines and vocation: teachers, social work, ministry criminology, um, health, uh, physical education. I mean, there's so many different things, but the, the fellowship ministry descriptions um, are academic, they're youth ministry, they're middle school, they're high school, they're nutrition-based, they're health-based. They're these year-long these year -long, um, fellowship roles of both men and women, that li they live in community together. There's a guy's house and, and a, a lady's house. And then they serve as part of the shepherd staff and support staff for the staff that they have at the, at the Compassionate Ministry Center uh, all year long. In their summer programs that they have for their neighborhood and community and in their, their school um, that they have that's um, just been a dynamic part of that, that area and just trying to help kids to get up to a reading level. So it's really all all comers that might be interested in just spending the year doing something different maybe than working or going to school and, um, and how yeah, and how long is the 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 kind of is it is the summer long so the the fellowship is one year long okay. the internships are for the summer the okay. internships they 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 raise funds to be a part of um the fellowship um is is a is it would be part-time pay but it's paid and then housing's provided and there's some meals that are provided and you're living in community and you're around dynamic leaders with a lot going on, both within the Compassionate Ministry Center, then the city of Indianapolis. Jay's got leaders coming in and out of Shepherd all the time right. um, from all kinds of different sectors. Their board is very diverse at their, at their center. Um, so yeah, the internships this summer, the fellowship is, is a year long. A lot of times some fellows will stay on for two years and then, and then Shepherd recruits from their fellowship uh, cohorts for staff. Right. And so there are people that are on staff that had served previously in a fellowship at, at Shepherd before. But really the heart behind it and the hiring of this role that, that I'm in with them is to invite young adults to come and, and be there 
and and glean and learn and percolate and then go back to where you're from or where God's sending you and and to be equipped relationally leadership development wise in these settings for urban ministry and then to take those things with you on to the next place that the the spirit fantastic so it's not just seeking to capture people and and like keep them there it wants it wants to be in a an equipping hub right right so the, the 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 recent graduate from high school is not the ideal person you're looking for yet you're looking for some people that already are engaged in some kind of vocation and career yeah, you know, and, and for the internship, the summer internship, uh, a recent high school grad totally could be. Um, and the internships will often lead to the fellowship opportunity. Okay. Um, but for the fellowship, the year-long um, opportunity, it, that's, that's typically college grads. Doesn't have to be, but older young adults that are ready to, to, to take on a, a challenge and an opportunity like this for a year. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, listen, brother, love you, man. Excited for you. Can't wait to hear how things shape up, and uh, we'll chat next week. And and maybe who knows, we may we may have stretch around and and catch up a little bit. So that will that will just be pure joy. Thank you. <laughs> <Mr>. <laughs> yeah. All right, have brother. Great, have a great one, man. Praying okay. with you, man. Peace. <laughs>